Welcome to the Space for Magic podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to receiving all the gifts the universe has for us. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive coach. Using a blend of common sense, brain science, and just a dash of magic, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Space for Magic podcast. And today, my guest is Debbie Adams. Now, I came to know Debbie through the receiving school. And that's part of the reason why I wanted her to join us. But the main thing that stood out to me about Debbie is how much she is able to not just rise up to challenges that are put in front of her, but you know, I think perseverance and resilience are words that get thrown around and what they look like in an embodied sense isn't always clear. And yet Debbie seems to have mastered these pieces of the human journey, or at least it feels like that from my perspective. And I'm going to let her share that. Professionally, Debbie is she's a veteran, she is a mother, and she is a business coach. She helps entrepreneurs who don't have a business bone in their body make lots of money. That's her take on it. So with that, welcome, Debbie. Thank you, Patty. I'm so glad to be here. So tell everyone where you live in the world, because I know we'll all hear your accent. And um, yes, yes, go ahead. Well, my accent comes from Newfoundland. I'm from Newfoundland. That's why I have this accent. But I live in Halifax, Nova Scotia right now, which is not very far away and not far away from you. Mm. Yes. So I, and I love your accent. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right, but it, not physically far, but a world away. Let's, right. let's really be honest about that. <laughs> so... You know, you had put a post on social media this morning and it was so intriguing to me because it was all about boldness. And I think there's a lot of people in the world actually feeling stagnant right now. And I felt the energy in your post. And I was just wondering if you could share a bit about, you know, what say you say what the post said in your own words and then, you know, how you got to this point. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that we're you know that we're talking about this because when I write those posts, I don't really think about them too much. It's just kind of inspired, you know, just words that I need to say. But you had mentioned something about inspired action, and I wanted to write that post to talk about how lately I've been inspired to do really bold things. But it's not new for me. And when you mentioned that earlier, it got me thinking about how my military service really prepared me to take bold action. Because the way that military people look at any activity is that we don't worry about failing. I mean, we have an attempt, we go back and regroup and we do an after action review and then we attempt again. So it's never about failing once and then slinking away, right? It's always about being better the next time. So I want to clarify, do you believe that that, because I mean, that's really the heart of resilience. Do you believe that that is a skill? Like, is that learned or is it inherent? Great question. I grew up in a, a 
I had a difficult childhood and I think I needed to be resilient there. A lot of people who end up in the military, Patty, between you and I are people who need stability there. You know, they arrive with resilience. But Mm -hmm. I think that the environment fosters that resilience as well and supports it. And we're never alone, right? We have this built-in community of support and we're never acting on our own. So, uh, you know, I think it's a place that really helps to grow it. Interesting. Well, I would say, though, that to have a difficult childhood, there's lots of people that, you know, really feel that their childhood is what broke them. You know, that, that it's, it is the reason they're not resilient. Yes. And even as you say that, I know that, pe- I, you know, I know people personally who's, who've had more difficult childhoods than I've had and haven't moved ahead as well as I have. I've done a lot of work. I'm 58 years old, I don't mind saying. And uh, it's, you know, a combination of everything in my life that has brought me to this place where I I really don't care what people think of me. I I use the apprenticeship model in my business coaching because I'm a, I'm a journey mechanic. That's my trade. So in apprenticing, we never show up as experts, so we show up needing the help of people. So I approach life like that, not as a know-it-all, but as a learn-it-all. Mm. I'm curious what that is like where you grew up or in Nova Scotia, because in from the culture of the States, a showing up in an apprentice mind shift, mindset is not the norm. No, I don't think it's the norm either, which is why there's a job for me, (laughs) you know, which is why there's work for me to inspire people to change their mind about this stuff. But I think we're all capable of showing up like that. And I think if we have more role models where people show up like that, as opposed to sometimes when I see people from corporate, for example, given talks, they show up with so much polish. They're not talking about all of their mistakes. And that was one of the things I talked about today was that, you know, if we reveal some of our soft spots, other people might be inspired to take action Mm. because we're like them. You were talking my language. I've been yammering on this podcast for weeks now about Make Space for Magic, my new book, which (laughs) I know you've been listening to me yammer (laughs) as well. But that was really at the heart of when the book was originally conceived was I wanted people to read the journey of the low points so that they could see the low points were actually the the jumping off point to the, the really juicy stuff and not proof that it wasn't going to work. Right. And I think that's probably why I gravitated to the work that you do. Because I got that message in the very early days. I don't have your book yet, although I've ordered a couple of copies. But in the early days, the message that was coming across loud and clear was that from this place, you know, when we reveal our underbelly, we're still able to make progress in life. And that just feels so good. And so it it was a place where I could connect. Mm, Thank you. Well, I'm so glad you did. (laughs) Uh, So how is that working for you, either in your business coaching or in the other places you're showing up right now? What are you seeing people when when you're sharing that way? How are they reacting to it? Or where's the magic coming from that? 
Well, I'll use the example of bankruptcy. So I went bankrupt the year I started my business. As I mentioned, I was forced into entrepreneurship. I had gone to university in my 40s, first generation university person, applied for 3,000 jobs and nobody would hire me. I am legally blind and I have barriers to employment that are exceptional. Somebody had mentioned, why don't you start a business? I started that business and went bankrupt the same year. So I started without any money. And I didn't shy away from sharing that, you know, about myself. So it was part of what I was bringing. And what has happened, I started with a tax business. So I still have a tax business. I do tax business coaching. When I started to share with people my background, I got more clients. People said, oh, don't tell about your bankruptcy. You know, people won't like that. And I thought, but my people will, because my people are struggling. And I got more clients. I got men reach out to say, you know, I'm so ashamed of where I am. I've let my family down. I've had wives that reached out and said, can you help my husband? Patty, it's been, I feel like I'm doing ministry. I feel strongly that I'm called to do this work. Hmm. Now, and, and oh gosh, you know, that's touching my heart so much. And I can tell you, you, the listener that having gotten to know Debbie over the last, I, w- I guess it's like nine months at this point, yes. maybe a year. That's true. I see you. I see you come into the community in that spirit. I see you show up on your own social media that way. And in our community live calls that way. And, you know, I feel that way about my own work too, is that at the end of the day, it's, did I help someone understand how the divine really sees them in a deeper way? And usually that is because shame is removed. Right. Right. And can I just talk about the divine for a minute in the business context? So I didn't need more business training, you know, when you stumbled into my orbit what I needed was a deeper connection with the divine. And I've talked about this with my friend Sonia, who's also in the group with us. What I was raised in, the system I was raised in, was no longer serving me. But I wanted something. And I think what you teach, Patty, is such a gentler concept of, you know, of how to divine as our back. And I feel that. And it has made my journey, it's kind of, if I could say, um, made sense of my journey. Like I, everything I've gone through has been so I could do the work that I do today. And I know that you can say the same thing about your work. And it seems purposeful and kind and supportive and everything that I wasn't taught about divine stuff. And I hear you because it was missing from a lot. I mean, I think I got somewhat of a softer version, but it's crazy though that in this world where we're all fed at our deepest level, we're fed by the loving kindness of others that we would come to not know that in the being that created us. Right. It's wild. So... I don't want to speak about your journey since I've known you at least, but I know some stuff has come up and um, it actually, it's such a good point because I think with the receiving school and the receiving method, you know, I find that usually the reason people come to it is either there is some type of lack in their life, which wasn't really your story, or a lot of times it's 
they want to have a deeper connection across the veil. But it's usually more from a spirit guide and angel connection. And I heard something different in what you said. And I'm curious what that journey has been like for you, knowing that's what you came to the work to do. And so can you clarify what you're asking me exactly? Yeah. So as you, like for a lot of people, when they go through the receiving school or learn the receiving method, for them, it's like now they're able to allow in more money or love, or they're able to talk to their spirit guides. But that really wasn't your premise for joining. Yours was to have this deeper connection with the divine. And I'm curious what that looked like along your journey, because there's been some some road bumps that I know you've gone over in like your inner work. And what kind of jumps out to you as you've taken this? What surprised you? What's been your biggest learning curve or anything you want to share? So I had been in a few groups prior to your group, you know, look, just looking for a group of like-minded people. Obviously, when you've done a lot of work on yourself, you've changed. My, you know, I've changed. I've grown away from people in my life and I, I just needed to fill a void, I guess. And I wanted, I found in the receiving school, just like-minded people who were talking about the things that mattered to me. They weren't talking about making money or, you know, how to do your marketing, which important concepts. I mean, I teach some of that stuff, but that's not what I needed. I was at a point where I knew that I needed to get in a group of people who really cared about what was going on in the world. And, uh, and not that I mind making money, don't get me wrong, but I just sensed that in the very early days. Well, you know how I ended up in your group, right? I, I listened to April Pertwee Adams podcast and you were a guest. And that very minute, I went over to your website and you were selling the receiving school and I signed up that minute. Amazing. <laughs> or I contacted you. That was right. I, I did. I sent you a note and then I signed up the next day or something. But anyway, it was just, and I find in my life, this is how my life has been. So if I accept that, you know, the tragedy of losing my career and losing my driver's license and my marriage failing and bankruptcy and all of the stuff that has happened has led me here. Then what I'm doing right now or what I'm struggling through right now is leading me to my next place. Mm. So then I have to like ease into that. I, you know, it's, I may not like it today that things are not great, but it's purposeful. That's how I feel. And that to me would be the, that energy of resilience that I was, I'm so amazed by in your journey, even from what I've heard about your journey before I knew you. So, you know, you early on, like when we were talking about what you do, you talked about helping entrepreneurs who don't have a business bone in their body make money. And um, I love that because I think for the first time in the evolution of humanity, people are being called into creating their own businesses through their own work for something other than an entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. And I'm curious what you're seeing, like where your work kind of touches on people's callings versus maybe just seeing an idea and knowing they can make money at it and going for it. How does their relationship to money intersect with their work? Mm-hmm. Well, many of the people that I meet, first of all, they could be forced into entrepreneurship in the same way that I was. Now, I will say that 
I was a high performer who lost all of my capacity to earn because I'm a mechanic. I didn't have a driver's license. I couldn't do any of that stuff again. So I meet people who are highly motivated to do their thing, and then they need to put a price tag on it. So they're great at their thing, whatever their thing is, and they consider their thing a calling in a lot of cases, but they're not so great at charging for it. So I'll have to help them with that. But the biggest thing that I that I think I often get called, oh, Debbie is the charge large gal or whatever it is, because I try and normalize money. But really, what I'm about is helping people step into those places where they have absolutely zero confidence in stepping. So I use the apprenticeship model of business coaching, which means that you get to really lean on my courage while you take that step. I'm holding you up about 70, I'm doing 70% of the work to hold you up. Just like when I was a young mechanic in the military and somebody said, oh, let me show you the tricks of the trade. You're making this way too hard. And so people lean on me. And then I model the behavior or whatever it is that I, whatever it is that they need to learn. And then they amaze themselves. You know, then they do that. Like I did that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I knew it. You just needed to learn. (laughs) And do you find that the doing is asking for more money? Oh, no. Sometimes it's uh, figuring out. This is why I say I'm in a pivot space. Lots of times people come to me for more money, but we end up going somewhere else. Because the thing they come to me trying to monetize isn't the question they're asking. You know, they're asking what they're supposed to be doing. So what I'm doing is a little bit of discernment and helping them to figure out where they're supposed to be. Now, it's unfortunate that we live in an economy where money matters because some people are called to do things where money is not important. But let's face it, you're not going to pay the bills on goodwill. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, So money is important, but, you know, I am a woman with a heart to serve who had to move to a profit motive. I mean, in the military, we we did not, in my day, I joined in 1980, we did not get paid what we were worth, but we served to excess. Now, I'm an entrepreneur, I need to get paid what I'm worth. I am the person who pulls that lever, you know, it's not somebody else. So I help people make that shift. That when you monetize what you do, you're still serving. You're not trivializing what you do because you put a price tag. And what would you say to someone that says, just because I know you haven't <laughs> done business coaching for so many years, and I know yes. a lot of the people listening might be in you know, either that first description I gave, which is they're thinking of starting a business or they have a business because of a calling or because of the pandemic or some other factor, they are a forced entrepreneur, right? And they're in that situation. Do you find that once they are making more money, and maybe it's before they're making the money, but when they know that they can ask for more money, that the fear that the person that they've come to serve or help may not be able to pay for that service, and then that puts them in conflict with themselves or why they think they have a business or any of the that kind of inner dilemma. Yes, absolutely, 100%, because even as you, as you mentioned, it was my dilemma, and it's definitely my client's dilemma. 
which is probably why I coach this stuff. But I think what happens, Patty, is that in the early days when I was developing the chops for entrepreneurship and couldn't charge what I was worth, I was attracting people who couldn't pay what I was worth. So let's zoom out for a moment and think about this from a, an apprenticeship perspective. They were the perfect clients for me to have. That was where I was. But when I got to a place where I could, and when my clients get to a place where they can charge large, where they developed confidence, and then they need to let these clients go, I get them to do a couple of things. First of all, I get them to have some kind of a social enterprise in their business. So for example, at tax time, I do 20 tax returns for low-income seniors, and that pacifies that need for me to give, right? Because I love serving. But at the same time, you're letting go of people who are going to go with the new coaches that are coming up who need to develop skills to charge large, and they can't yet, but they need to develop skills around, you know, running a little um, a little conference on a weekend with people who can afford to pay while they're not expert yet. Mm. So they're in that apprenticing role, and they're cycling through that, you know, the adult learning arc. And uh, when they get better and when they understand, you know what happens as we get better, we start to see people who are charging way more than we do. And we say, I'm as good as they are. I should be getting paid, the, you know, thousands of dollars to speak or whatever. And we start to yearn for that. But we have this conflict inside of ourselves that if I do that, will I be sacrificing this part of me who's about service? And I say no, because now... 10 years in, I serve a different segment of the population. It's still service. Mm, that's so fascinating. And I'm curious to your thoughts on something something else. And this may come back to bite me in the ass in like three <laughs> in three years that I'm saying this. So, and it's because I believe you stopped doing the tax. Didn't you? This is the last year you're doing the tax work. Am that's I right correct. about that? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's the context for this question. Because I never thought about it the way you just talked about it, which is as we evolve in what we're doing, the client we're meant to work with evolves, right? And a more evolved client typically is going to invest more money because I think there is a relationship between the money we put into something and the commitment. It doesn't mean that the right person can't have commitment with a low investment. I just find that the evolution of the whatever it is, the more money someone's investing in it, the, they tend to be more committed, right? Or more ready maybe or whatever. Do you believe there's an evolution in business where you suddenly are so almost beyond that work that you just need to like, so I'm so offering this question so poorly, but it's like, okay, so you're charging more and you're charging more because you're working with a more evolved client, more evolved client. Is there a part of the evolution where suddenly it means you just have to get out of the gig because you've just evolved to the point where it no longer is inspired action? Yes, 100%. So um, I'll give you a couple of examples from my life. And, and you mentioned about tax being one of them. It's time. It's time. It isn't where. It's become an anchor. It's holding me back from the next level of what I feel is my calling. So I have this book of clients, and I, I love them, Patty. I mean, I've they've served me well. I've served them well. And I really care about them. 
but they're not allowing me to be my best self, my best in business. So I need to let them go. About five years ago, I started a, a networking group. It was a community group. And again, after about two years, in as much as I love the work that we did together, I was sacrificing for the group and the group were no longer serving my needs as a business person. And it was really good business sense to, to let that go. But again, there's always somebody, whenever we step away, and I'm like you, I think when I listen to your background about, I, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I was the go-to person for everything, for everybody around me. I have mad skills in lots of different areas. But when I step away from that group, for example, somebody else had to grow as a leader. In my contract with the divine, I'm not any more special than that somebody else. <laughs> so mm. I step away. Somebody else steps up in leadership. Maybe they do it better than I do. Maybe the community absorbs or, or meets their needs in a different way or whatever it is. So I always look at it like we have to evolve. We're going to evolve. If you don't, if you don't evolve, you're not, you're not going to end up anywhere. But as we evolve, we let go. This is just part of the business cycle. And you mentioned about people paying more money as they, you know, as they evolve and grow as business people. But I think we just start to understand the economics of business. So, you know, for me to invest, say, $10,000 a year in my own development is quite natural for me now. Ten years ago, I could barely spend, not because I didn't have the money to spend 97 bucks for a little program, but I didn't see the return on investment. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand the economics of business. And so... I don't know if that that's a convoluted way to answer your question, but I hope you got something from it. No, I think it's, yeah, it's totally clear to me. And the reason I was even asking the question why I said it's going to come back to bite me in, in the ass is because I left business coaching to do the receiving school and the, this work full time, partially because I felt I didn't feel the inspiration inside the work anymore, even though that the work and the nuance of the work kept growing and growing and growing. There was a piece of it that was super alive, which was that receiving piece, but the rest of it just felt perfunctory to me. Yes. And that's not because the clients that I could potentially be working with have any less of a spiritual journey to take with money or marketing or sales or anything else. It just, for me on my journey, it was no longer a match. That's right. So I think that I won't be shocking you if I say that when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, what the divine would like for us to do, we're going to get a tremendous amount of joy from that. Hmm. It isn't going to feel like a slog every day. Yeah. I think that's the litmus test that if the work that you're doing feels like a drag, you want to be reevaluating what you're doing. And, you know, is it purely ego driven? Or are you doing what you're called to do? And this is the other thing. This is why I love being in receiving school because I think I'm in the company of people who are really operating from that feeling of really, you know, stepping up to a calling and monetizing that calling. So they've balanced that. Yeah. And the receiving school, you know, the community is not entrepreneurial 
per se. So what would you say to someone, because for the longest time, neither were you, what would you say to someone listening? Because we we've been talking a lot about this in the receiving school, as you know, is like this feeling of cloudiness, of confusion, of not knowing where to go next is pretty pervasive across humanity right now. Yes. And I think when the issue of money arises and gets blended in there, it makes it extra hard because money really is the thing we've learned from day one is important, controls power, has power over our own sense of safety and significance. So when you're feeling this business, like you don't need a business to deal with this. When you're feeling this cloudy of what comes next, I don't understand what's being asked of me. And then also money is an issue you need to make money, you're out of work, you need to make more money, or you need to switch a job to feel more purposeful, but it doesn't come with the money. What advice would you give someone who's in that space right now? I guess it would depend on the individual now, wouldn't it? Because myself, for example, I like adventure and travel and doing all kinds of stuff. It's no good to say to me, well, you know, you can go over here and be very fulfilled in your work, but you're going to have to live off the grid, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. in a, a tiny home. And that's not going to suit my personality. So, you know, if somebody wants to make that choice and they're extremely fulfilled doing work that, you know, that I wouldn't consider doing, and they're filled with joy, then that's great. But whenever I, uh, so I, I've written a book on money mindset. And one of the things I talk about in there is what I learned when I was a kid, that it was easier for a camel to fit through an eye of a needle than it was for a rich man to get into heaven. And so that set us up to develop an unconscious bias against money. And when that unconscious bias is operating, we're going to be triggered by all things money. But if we find that and and get rid of it, and debunk it and stick a pin in it and then realize that money is just, you know, just a, a commodity. It's an exchange of value and all of that, you know, all of the stuff that people like to say that's jargon for a lot of people, but it can become your reality. Then we can go out in the world and monetize some of what we do and not feel like bad people. So if you're somebody whose needs aren't getting met or you'd like something as simple as taking a family on a vacation, you could, I show people all the time some little thing that they do that they can monetize. As a matter of fact, Patty, because we have an issue here, and I don't know if you have it there, but a lot of people have built businesses over their lifetime, 20, 30, 40 years. They no longer have families to take over these businesses, and people don't want to buy them because, you know, we're in a different kind of economy, and people can probably fast-track some of that stuff now. And I teach those older business owners how to create new revenue streams by teaching other people to do what they did so that the new up-and-comers can fast-track what, what, what they're doing. And I get resistance from them, not because of the money, because they've made lots of money, but because of the learning. It'll be, you know, you can't teach an old dog no tricks. So what do you mean you want me to coach somebody into bidding on a government uh, tender or whatever the case may be? So all of that in there is debunking any attachment. And I know you have a background in psychology, but if you have an attachment to money and you've got that in the evil category, we have a problem. Mm, Truth. That is true. So 
I'm going to switch gears on you. You are in the process of doing 50 speaking gigs in 50. Is it weeks? Are you doing the 50? I am 50. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I find so fun is that um, I know you just heard me say that in passing, I think, right? Like, wait, I haven't talked about that in like quite a bit. It was in another podcast, a podcast where you were a guest and you happened to throw it out there. Well, I got to tell you, when I see people that are doing stuff that I like, I do what they do. It's, you know, why reinvent the wheel? So I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? I'm going to do that. But when I got started, I said that I wanted to speak about everything but business. I speak about everything that I like to think and talk about. So Mm -hmm. whether it's women or raising children or anything. And this is my ninth week. And actually this morning, somebody dropped off a dozen butter tarts and roses for me because I spoke at Zanta Zanta Club <laughs> last week. And I talked about uh, the education of at-risk adults. Mm. So I'm talking about anything. I just love that. And this is, a, if anybody wants to set the goal, this is, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to put yourself out there and say, you know, I'm going to talk for free. That's the other thing. It has to be free over and above what I normally do and reaching out to people. But I'm finding, Patty, that when I speak at one group, I'll ask them if they have somebody else, some other place where I can talk. And they're connecting me. Yes. Well, that, and you know, it's so funny. So that the reason I brought that up was back in the day, the circa 2015, I want to say I was talking a lot about this 50 and 50, right? And I mean, I was talking to pretty big audiences, audiences where I was on the stage about how to grow your speaking platform, right? So these people were there presumably to learn ways to grow their speaking platform. And I have taught, you know, the concept, just the idea of the challenge. I've offered it to many, many people. And I would say hundreds, but probably at this point, thousands, if I include people who took the course and everything. Very few people follow through with it. Mm. So that's where I actually was going to go because, again, it comes back to this resilience and this persistence is, and it's that courage because for a lot of people, that challenge, you could throw it out. There's, there's a million other challenges you could talk about. It's not that specific one. But I find it fascinating. I was going to ask you, what was the mental process you had, because I think this goes to the resilience or the persistence or the making things happen. You heard this in passing, thought it sounded like a good idea, but as you said, it takes courage. What happened in between the lines of what I just said that got you to the place where you're at? Uh, Well, maybe I have done it so many times now that I don't, like, I can collapse all of that into a very short, I have my next talk the next day. Not very much had to happen for me. But I do that, Patty. I jump into stuff, and then sometimes it's terrible, and uh, I just course correct and and clean it up and, you know, do it again. So nothing much has to happen for me to do it. But in the very early days, keeping in mind that 10 years ago, I would never have been invited on a podcast because I was not a great oral communicator. I'm a writer. And so I couldn't speak in front of people. And now I've, I've spoken in front of maybe 600 and uh, at one time, I mean. And um, so in the very early days, when I was starting to learn to speak, people were encouraging me to do 
different stuff. I was absolutely mortified. Now I did it, and I'm always going to do it. I always say yes. I'm a yes gal, but I was mortified. And I kept saying to myself, being mortified is part of the process, Debbie. (laughs) Being mortified, I know I said it because I say it to my clients. Being mortified is part of the process. Let's just breathe into that, you know. So that's part of the process. Mm. You just hit it on the head is rather than try to avoid mortification is embrace mortification as one of the steps. Right. Mm. That's good stuff there. I'm just going to make sure if you're listening, think about what you're avoiding that feels like you would want to do it, right? It went through your head. It lit you up, but something stopped you because you might embarrass yourself. That could very well be the pathway to your next greatest, biggest experience, exciting part of your journey. Do you agree with that, Debbie? Oh, 100%. And I'm even, even as you were speaking, I was thinking about the first speech that I gave was at the library and I talked about, I had all mothers there with children that were disabled. And I, my talk was about how entrepreneurship is the only viable option if you have a disability. I think you're wasting time trying to beat down doors that people don't want to open for you. That was my talk. I could hardly get three sentences so petty. I knew what I wanted to say. I had written about this, but I, you know, I just, every time I tried to talk about it, everything above my collarbone was frozen. <laughs> and I, but I pushed through. I remember reminding myself that I'm not going to get on the other side of this unless I like just do it. So I ended up in the middle of that talk, just bawling my eyes out because, you know, I'm telling my story. It's not really processed. And, but all of those moms came up to me afterwards and told me how much hope I gave them because they had children that were going to face barriers to employment and they had gifts. Mm. And I was telling them that they could help those children monetize those gifts. And one lady had a, a child who was nonverbal. And uh, I said, so I'm visually impaired. So there's stuff that I cannot do. There's a million things I cannot do. And, and 10 million that I can do, by the way. But I, I get other people to do the things I can't do. So f- for your nonverbal child, you'll get other people to help get whatever he has to market, you know. But I, I digress. Getting back to the pushing through, that was the beginning. And the impact, because your audience loves to see you struggle through with grace and knowing that you need to get your message out or whatever it is you're trying to do. But then impacting people in that way, that was enough for me. Mm. I mean, I was doing it again very quickly. (laughs) So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here. I'm curious, one, um, if you have a quick link to the book about money mindset, I'm sure people will be interested in that. Otherwise, we could just put it in the show notes. Any last thoughts you want to share? Words of wisdom? I do not. I The only thought I would want to share with your audience, Patty, is my acknowledgement that you're, you've got a gift, girl. And <laughs> there we go. Oh, thank you. You are such a pleasure. And what about the book? Should we just look to put that in the in the show notes, or do you know a link off the top of your head? It's only an e- it's an ebook. It's on Amazon. It's called Money Mindset, Debbie Adams. Okay, yep. there you go. Thank you so much for being with us today, Debbie. Thank you for the opportunity, Patty. 
And for you listening, I hope you found whatever it was you were looking for inside this podcast episode. But what I most want you to take away is that that kernel, that beautiful kernel that oftentimes fear of shame, fear of embarrassment keeps us from our greatest path. And Debbie is certainly an example of what it looks like when you don't let that stop you. So I wish that for you and all the magic in the world. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for listening. If you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share this episode with them. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review at your favorite podcast app. It helps us reach many more people and it fills my heart with so much joy when I hear what you have to say about what I've shared. I'm cheering for your success. Have an amazing day. And don't forget, always create space for magic. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.